Nope, not going to do it. Okay, we've been living with a week of Balloon Boy fallout, and the whole thing is just, it's so stupid. It's very hard to be funny, even. It's a story that never was a story, really, or should have been a story, and yet, it is still a story. You know, Balloon Boy, I'm addressing you now, and and more to the point, I'm addressing uh, all of the Balloon Boy conspirators. You made someone very near and dear to me, who shall remain nameless, cry. They were so worried about you that they cried in their kitchen. And it could never really be... uh, funny again, I don't think, from that point. You know, we got a lot of nudges uh, this week, but I just couldn't, in the end, I couldn't put my heart into a uh, Balloon Boy-oriented song or anything. Uh, Because you know what, Balloon Boy, you're not worth it. Allegedly. Instead, I wrote a song about the financial company CEO compensation. Uh, That seemed worth it. Uh, We put a quick uh, question out on Facebook about what other hoaxes people had gone for, and we got some fun stuff back. Uh, Some of them along musical lines. Christopher reminds us of a good one, Milly Vanilli. Lucy says Vanilla Ice, although Lucy, I actually think, unfortunately, he was real. Uh, Mary says her ex-boyfriend was convinced that Jello Biafra was going to reunite with the dead Kennedys for a secret show in St. Louis. And you know, Mary, I think... I think I speak for everybody. We, we pretty much all fell for that one. Jessica, uh, moving away from musical stuff now, offers up Christian fundamentalism. No comment. Susie says, Beanie Babies, uh, most of which are not, it turns out, worth the $3,000 or so she was told to expect. And Lisa, finally, says she fell for this recent video, uh, which I hadn't seen yet, uh, of people around the world making popcorn by putting the kernels in the middle of a bunch of ringing cell phones on a table. I do have to say, having lived in Japan for a little while, uh, that is a very convincing impression of Japanese women freaking out over something silly. Uh, But in fact, it was a viral marketing campaign and a pretty successful one by that measure uh, by a Bluetooth headset manufacturer making the point that, uh, I guess, you don't want to put a cell phone next to your head because it will explode, so you better get a headset. Although the company says it meant no such thing. I'm Jeff Orwich. This is In The Loop. And before uh, we get on to the real serious stuff here, one quick announcement that I promise to keep to 30 seconds. Go. Okay, so our pledge drive, member drive, whatever you want to call it here at Minnesota Public Radio, has just started today as I'm speaking to you. And in the past, people have asked, hey, is there any way that we can support you guys in the loop uh, when I contribute? And this time, we uh, sort of have an answer for you. It's a special link that lets us keep a tally of people who say their membership is inspired, uh, to some extent, by In The Loop. So when you go to get a new membership or if you're renewing, get there through that link. You can find it at our website, intheloopshow.net or loopfacebook.net, and go Vikings. Go. And one last quick thing I'll say before we get to actual content here. We're still running our little, and will be for a while, I guess, our little sort of mini survey of uh, the show and how it's going and how you like it and what we can change. And you can find that at the uh, websites as well. So let's talk Pakistan. I was kind of sitting around uh, looking at the papers this week, as, as I do with the vast majority of my time. And uh, clearly there is something big going down in Pakistan. We're hearing individual stories from day to day about what seems to be a major offensive. I want to talk to somebody about it, 
and we went out hunting for, for new voices on the topic, and we found this fella, don't laugh when I say his name, uh, because this is his name. It is uh, Esun Butt, B-U-T-T. But we're going to set aside that uh, exciting and insightful line of questioning uh, in light of the fact that we're talking about a huge effort uh, on the part of the Pakistani government and military, uh, at last, some might say, to uh, perhaps truly rout the Taliban from these areas of Pakistan where they've been entrenched for so many years. Asun is from Karachi, Pakistan. At the moment, he is in Chicago, where he's working on his Ph.D. in poli-sci at the University of Chicago. He's been writing uh, frequently and quite smartly about what's been happening in Pakistan at his blog, which is called Five Rupees. Asun, good to know you. Thanks for coming on In The Loop. No, thanks for having me. What I'm wondering as I see the developments come out day after day from Pakistan is, is this the big one, the big offensive that I guess it would seem the U.S. government anyway has kind of been waiting for Pakistan to undertake? Pretty much, yes, actually, uh, because this is the area in which the military has gone in now constitutes the base from which the, the Taliban basically expanded. The military has pretty much gone in in a way that it hasn't gone in earlier. There have been attempts in the past to deal with this problem militarily, but they weren't that successful for, for a variety of reasons to do with the counterinsurgency capabilities of the Pakistan military, you know, resources, a lack of coordination with allies, and a lack of public support. That's one of the biggest things. Until this year, the public opinion was not squarely behind or even at all behind military operations. And so all of those factors have now sort of turned. We do have public support, and the military is, just by virtue of practice, getting better at fighting counterinsurgents. And so this is the first time that people seem to believe that they might be actually successful. What was the key, you think, in turning public support in Pakistan overall in favor of uh, really going in heavy into the tribal areas? Well, really, the Taliban themselves, they basically shot themselves in the foot with respect to public opinion. They were never sort of popular by any stretch, but they were always less unpopular than, you know, the U.S., for instance, or any of uh, Pakistan's military leaders and so on. But what's happened now... Uh, earlier this year, is a series of missteps by the Taliban with respect to PR. Their attacks on Sri Lankan cricketers in March was a big turning point. There was this YouTube video of them beating a girl for some crime, uh, some imagined crime, uh, which was widely circulated. It's one of those, you know, give an inch, take a foot type of situations where the, the Pakistani state would concede on basically anything and everything that the Taliban were sort of recalcitrant on. And so they kept pushing because they hadn't, no one had said no to them. And when no one says no to you, you keep asking. I mean, it's, it's easy to say in hindsight, well, this is what pushed, pushed the public and the military and the civilian leadership over the edge. But uh, ex-ante, it wasn't that easy to see. Plus a little dose of YouTube. <laughs> yes. Maybe they weren't counting on that. Does this feel like a, like a civil war to you? Well, I mean, it's a civil war in the most technical sense of the term, which is that one arm of the state, the military, is fighting groups that are basically vying for control of the state, i.e. the Taliban. It is not a civil war in the sense that you have widespread participation from sort of quote-unquote average people. What is the case, however, is the fact that many Pakistani citizens are vulnerable because of suicide attacks, terrorist attacks, so on. And the new headline that I'm looking at this morning is that every school, every university across the entire country has been shut down. Is that your understanding as well? Yes, and that's basically a response to uh, an attack a couple of days ago, two or three days ago, on uh, the Islamic University in Islamabad. You know, even schools and universities are targeted. Isun, what's the best realistic outcome that you can see coming from uh, the fighting right now? Uh, <laughs> in the short and medium term, a lull in violence would be nice. I mean, Pakistani citizens have really suffered. 
in the long term, you you know, it, there can be no success in this war unless the Pakistani government and the Pakistani state incorporates the tribal agencies into Pakistan proper and ensures that people there have opportunities to live a, a decent existence. Can you see those parts of the country uh, becoming, you know, functional parts of Pakistan in the same way that uh, Karachi so. or I Lahore mean, it's are? It's hard to imagine, certainly at this point, but uh, we must recall that there are other sort of parts of Pakistan that had similar status 30, 40 years ago. For instance, the, the, the Manakan division, the places in which the Taliban first expanded to. So it's not as if the Pakistani state hasn't incorporated these regions that sort of purportedly lie within its border but outside its control before. It's not unprecedented. It just has to be done right. What are the red flags that you're watching for here? What are, what are some of the things that uh, could potentially go really wrong with this operation? The big problem is the weather, right? So once the weather turns cold in about, uh, I would say, eight to nine weeks, fighting is going to become very, very difficult. And if they don't succeed in eight or nine weeks in basically striking against the Taliban in a, in a meaningful way, then they're going to have to come out of there, right, without actually having accomplished anything. That'll lead to disaster because then the Taliban will be able to attack Pakistani civilians, but the military will not be able to attack the, the Taliban. Um, and so it's, it's really key that whatever's done is done relatively quickly. It seems pretty clear from talking with you that you're rooting for the army here to, to be successful. And uh, I know this probably seems like an obvious question to you, but as a Pakistani, tell me why. Well, I mean, you wouldn't want to be too melodramatic in saying, oh, the future of the country is at stake. But in many ways, the future of the country is at stake, right? Because the Taliban are not, not exactly uh, people you, you would want your family to live under. With their vision of what a state should look like is sort of anathema to me and many people who think like me. And it's not just people who think like me, but people who I vehemently disagreed with for three, four, five years when I was urging action. And people said, no, no, this is America's war. Even those people have now turned to the point where the Taliban are unpopular. It's not as if the Pakistani military is everyone's favorite institution. They have been the cause of many significant problems in Pakistan's political and social history. But they are decidedly the lesser evil at this point. Uh, And if they do their job, then uh, I think the nation will be eternally grateful. Asun, it's been very good to connect with you. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Asun Butt is from Karachi. He is currently in Chicago working on his doctorate in political science. You can check out his blog at fiverupees.blogspot.com. Sandin and I highly recommend it. Aside from Pakistan, here's another fun headline from this past week. The Washington Post, uh, and I have to give them full credit here because this looks to be an enterprise deal, and they went uh, sorting through all this material themselves. They went poking through financial disclosure forms that had been recently filed, and they discovered this. Last year, the top 29 financial companies in the U.S. actually hiked the perks and benefits they gave to their CEOs by 4%. These are little extra goodies that companies offer to cover for their top executives. You know, things like personal transportation, uh, their taxes. Seriously, at GMAC Financial, they paid the boss's income tax bill $2.5 million. And this is at the height of the financial crisis, at the companies uh, that caused it and that were presumably most screwed by it, right? In the meantime, companies in the economy as a whole, uh, they cut this kind of spending by 7%. So yeah, I think I feel a little song coming on. We're in arrears, but why should I care? 
never been shy about claiming my share. Yes, all in all, it's been a good year to be on top. Hey, the board was okay with the jet and chauffeur. I never have been the type to demure. Yes, what can I say? It's been a busy year up on top. I think as all of the government money rolled in, we'd ease up just a bit. But in times like these, financial catastrophes, good financial executives play hard to get. Yes, IRS bills, country club dues, we're too big to fail and I'm too hot to lose. Just one of those capitalism catch-22s. Yeah, take my pay package, put it on cruise, it's been a good year. What a good year to be on top. There's a coda to this story that should make you feel a little better, maybe a whole lot better. And it's all about the Pazar, this guy named Kenneth Feinberg. So the Pazar was appointed by Obama to basically sit in a room, look through the books, and decide... Who's making too much at these firms that get government bailout money? The logic is a lot of these guys and women have been paid too much and in ways that encourage them to take extra risky behavior. And that's what got us into this mess partially in the first place. That's the theory. So Kenneth Feinberg has been quietly going at it with his people. And then, bam, today he's out with his verdict. And it's probably more extreme than anyone had imagined. He's cutting salaries of the top people at these companies on average by half. And no one is going to make more than $500,000 a year, which probably sounds like a lot to you or me, but that is quite a blow to people who are used to making much, much more. And, you know, sure, lots of companies are just shifting a lot of that compensation into long-term stock options, but still, this is, this is huge. I mean, what incredible power we gave this guy. And then, if that's not enough, the Federal Reserve had its own announcement just uh, actually a few minutes ago saying that they're going to start regulating salaries, not just at the bailed-out banks, no, but at every bank. This is, this is a new world. And I'm not quite sure what to make of it, uh, but at the very least, it deserves a reprise of our Gypsy Kings-inspired I Will Cut You Pazar theme from, gosh, however long ago it was they uh, announced the Pazar. Let's do it. I will cut you... I will cut you. Planet Money, try that. Right, Sandin? Right. Sandin's here. Uh, and I have a couple of late-breaking items. One of them we'll dispense with very quickly, but I just thought it was kind of funny. Looking at my email now, I've got an email from Joe Biden. Biden. Can you believe it? Whoa. Uh, subject line, the fight. Is he uh, inviting over to his house to watch boxing on pay-per-view? That would be something, but no, He's he says Jeff, dash, dash. He writes me personally. Uh, <laughs> we've got a fight on our hands. Powerful insurance companies, blah, 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 are 
pulling out all the stops to defeat the president's plan. So he's he, they're trying to, uh, of course, uh, gin up some grassroots activism uh, in the health and church reform thing. But I just love how when they want to s- send an email and put the subject line, the fight comes from Joe Biden. Right. The voice of Joe. Urgh. Love that guy. Joe Biden. Uh, okay. So um, the other thing is that we, we just, as the podcast production has been unfolding here, somebody submitted a new Example of a hoax that they fell for from back at the top of the show. So what's this one? Uh, This one is from Veronica, who says, 12 years ago, she and a friend quite sincerely went on something that was called the Mayo Clinic Diet. And they followed it strictly for Uh five days. Does Uh, it involve a lot of mayo? Even better. Um, They (laughs) discovered that, uh, no, in fact, bacon and grapefruit juice was not officially endorsed by the Mayo Clinic. Oh, ba- wait, bacon and grapefruit juice? Yes, there was some hoax diet going around cool. called the Mayo Clinic diet. Well, that was you would think maybe a little common sense, but or your gut if it's coming from the Mayo Clinic. Constantly roiling from acid and meat fat. But... Yeah, man. Well, you know, if we can fall for balloon boy, we can fall for for anything. Uh, and that that's sort of a sciency item in a way, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, pseudoscience. Enough to 100%. get us where we're going. Uh, our little science and technology mode here that we're shifting into for the rest of the show. And for a little bit here, Santa and I are going to share some information with you about what I would term really alternative fuels. Yeah, that's that's fair enough. Yeah. So this started when you spotted something on Metafilter or something, I don't know, about uh, a nifty little project, delightful, um, that's happening in Sweden. Right. Well, I don't know if delightful is the right word, but, uh, you know, it depends on who you are. Gives you a warm, fuzzy feeling. (laughs) Warm and fuzzy, yes. Uh, But we're talking about bunnies, of course. And uh, Sweden has a problem with bunnies. In Sweden, uh, bunnies are the squirrels of of their country. And um, basically, there's too many of them. So they started shooting them. And what did they do with the bodies? They found a, a, a way to use them for heating homes and turning them into a biofuel. Really? Yeah, totally. It's more than just throwing them into fireplaces. Well, I no, hope. yeah. I mean, this is something that, that the, the 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 state's been actually doing. There's been a little bit of blowback uh, around the idea of burning cute little bunnies to keep your house warm, um, but apparently, it's a really effective way to make fuel. So I called up someone at uh, the company responsible for this, the Swedish Energy Project. And the and... serendipity here is amazing because you speak Swedish, right? Can I you can... say something about um, bunny fuel in Swedish? Kaninerna är väldigt bra för att ge dig varm i vintern. Bork, bork, bork. <laughs> and what did you say to us? I just said bunnies make good winter heat. Nifty. Apparently. So I called up uh, I called up the Swedish Energy Project, uh-huh. and I spoke to a lady named Solvi Herstadsvärd, and uh, she said, yeah, you can make bunnies into heat. Well, it's like you when you do minced meat. Just like the... minced meat? Yes, it burns better because you have uh, a smaller fragment and it's easy to pump. Then you pump it into a boiler, preferable together with other fuels like uh, peat and wood waste. I'm a little surprised because uh, I expected something a little more complicated. This sounds like not too different from just making sausage or something. No, it's very easy. <laughs> it's very simple. <laughs> That's why it's uh, so genial. It's not only whole animal carcasses, it's also slaughter, waste. A lot of the, the cow and, and the pig you don't eat. Huh. See, here we just turn it into spam and other delicious meat products. Yeah. <laughs> well, we have also that. But some of the cows and pigs, you have to, to burn it or, or use it somehow. Okay, so hit me with some numbers here, Sin. In, in Sweden, like, 
how many places are doing this? How much like carcass power are they running on? <laughs> well, the, well, there's five factories so far that are doing this in Sweden. And uh, they've got, we'll see, last year, 6,000 bunnies were killed. This year, they're, they're down a little bit, uh, 3,000 only. Mm. Maybe they did such a good job last year. But in total, when you add the bunnies with all the other carcasses and bits of uh, slaughterhouse scrap that they're burning, it's, uh, it adds up to 100,000 tons of uh, animal-powered goodness. So we started looking around for like, okay, if you can uh, burn bunnies in Sweden, uh, certainly there are maybe other disgusting and interesting and informative, uh, let's just say, examples of uh, biofuels around the globe. And um, yeah, oh, there's some got? really bizarre stuff. So, you know, uh, San Francisco apparently has been looking into a process of using um, dog poop. Uh, I don't think they are going to do it, it sounds like, but uh, they found out that it would be possible to turn dog poop into uh, a way to heat homes. Why are they not going to do it? Well, it's, uh, let's just say maybe it was not the easiest thing to recycle. There's a lot of complicating factors when you're dealing with, you know, dog poop and the bags and everything. Okay, but technically it, it could be done. It could be done. And, yeah. and a group in Ohio actually has just figured out a way to take pee, extract hydrogen, and uh, and power cars. And they said that um, a pee-powered car could, in theory, get 90 miles per gallon. So Dang. that big gulp could go from uh, could go from just a tasty drink to, uh, you know, from one tank to the next, Stay I guess. Stay out of the way of that uh, exhaust. Yeah. Um, okay, so I was poking around as well, and I found some stuff that, while that is uh, disgusting, right? Uh, this may be more disgusting. Uh, I called up this guy in New Zealand, uh-huh. and he is the captain of a boat... It's like the boat and the organization are both called Earth Race. Okay. And it's a it's a biofuel-powered uh, boat that has set the world record for circumnavigating the globe in a powerboat. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, it's very cool, and the boat looks awesome. I put a picture up on our Facebook page if you want to check it out. Uh, but what gained them probably more notoriety than the actual record itself was uh, the way they first powered the boat. So here I, I called up the guy in New Zealand. His name is Pete Bethune. One of the ideas that I was promoting that, that, that biodiesel is a fantastic fuel because countries can utilize the resources they have. For example, the Pacific can use coconut oil and, and North America it's mostly soybean oil, Europe it's canola oil, and New Zealand, Australia, a lot of our biodiesel comes from animal fat. So to, to highlight it, I underwent liposuction and they got 100 ml of fat out of my back. I'm, I'm a skinny bugger and that was all I could get. But then I had a couple of fat buggers who they got five kilos out of each of them, which is about, say, 10 pounds. So I had 20 pounds of human fat, and I brewed it up at home and made this batch of biodiesel. And we did, when the boat was first commissioned, uh, the first fuel I ran was made from human fat. Um, but it's a pretty brutal operation, and it's not, um, uh, I'm not sure it's a sustainable way to go running a large fleet on human fat. You could probably you could do it right in Texas. I remember thinking, listen, I was in Texas. I've never seen so many fat people. So maybe that's our great uh, untapped American resource. Yeah, well, a lot of you guys do know where the local McDonald's is, and it does show, but um, there's plenty <laughs> other countries in the same boat as you guys. <laughs> now, when I was poking around on this subject, I also ran across a doctor who actually ran a liposuction clinic in Beverly Hills who was powering his family's cars with uh, fat from his clinic. I don't know if you've heard of this guy. Uh, but for yeah, a... he, he contacted us a while ago to just sort of find out what we'd done. Um, there's a lot of biodiesel that's made from animal fats already, from um, from sheep and beef in New Zealand. Um, in Charleston, I know they make it from the from the chicken fat. 
Um, human fat is the same. It's most of the structures of triglyceride. You can perfectly well make bite easily out of it. The doctor in Beverly Hills wound up taking off for South America. I think he didn't. He wasn't really enjoying his practice anymore after all the attention he got from that. Not to mention the fact that it was potentially illegal, I guess, in California. You didn't run into any, any legal problems with your experiment, did you? Mate, this is New Zealand. We we just honestly don't have the same issues that you guys have with lawyers. And you know, if it's my fat, I can do what I like with it. You know. So, Sandin, that's uh, Pete Bethune, skipper of Earth Race. Mm-hmm. And I just want to point out a few things here. One is that he said he took the human fat and brewed it up at home. Yeah. Which, um, I hope he washed his pots and pans after that. That's disgusting. Uh, second is that the Earth Race boat does not actually run all the time on human fat. I think it was clear about that. But it's, it runs mostly on used cooking grease and the human fat thing. It was just sort of like a little uh, publicity uh consciousness-raising thing he was doing that, uh, admittedly, especially in that part of the world, kind of got a little out of hand. He said people were calling him up thinking he would do free liposuction on them uh, to power his boat. And uh, nothing of the sort. And third, everyone we have had on the show so far has had a really cool accent. Yeah. It was like a Pakistan, Sweden, Sweden, and... New Zealand. New Zealand. There yes. we go. All right. So um, you've got one more guy for us who's going to answer a question that I guess arises from all this. Can you basically make biofuels, biodiesel out of anything. Yeah. Then that's any, you know, carbon-based life form. Right. I asked this guy, uh, John Foley, who's the director of the Institute on the Environment at the University of Minnesota. What kind of accent does he have? Uh, unfortunately, he's as American as apple pie. Oh, you can make biodiesel from that. Apparently. Anything that burns, he says, could be biofuel of some sort. But he said uh, with some fuels, there's a point when it's not worth it. Yeah, I mean, there are some things that it takes a lot of energy to make the stuff in the first place. As a lot of folks are aware, there's been a bit of discussion about how corn ethanol may or may not be uh, that much energy at the end of the day because it takes a lot of energy to make it in the first place. So you have to kind of look at the return on investment. How much energy does it take to grow the stuff you're going to make the fuel out of? And how much energy does it take to make the fuel out of the biomass? compared to what you get out of it at the end of the day. So, you know, anytime we can turn waste into energy, it's smart. So uh, John Foley said that's why basically all these uh, waste products are really in vogue right now in the biofuel community. Because if you're going to get rid of it anyway, might as well try to turn it into uh, some sort of energy. So we've got uh, baby bunnies, human fat, pee and poop. Poop and pee. Has Radiolab looked into this? (laughs) We'll get them on the case. Only us. Uh, okay, cool. Well, that that takes care of the science portion of our science and technology focus here. And now we're going to shift into something that uh, I think is a little bit different format for us, and this should be kind of fun, right, Sandin? Yeah, I like this. Yeah, so I'm going to ask a question. Do you have an invite? And if you're listening to me right now and you have no idea what I'm talking about, if that means absolutely nothing to you, then God bless you. Because for a chunk of this little world and the chunk that Sandin and I kind of live in, that has been like the big question over the past couple of weeks. Do you have an invite uh, with the possible brief exception of whether Balloon Boy fell out? Uh, there's this product and it's being tested right now. It's called Google Wave. It's been out for a couple of weeks. And you can participate in the testing of it by invitation only. That's the invite part of it. If you got lucky in the lottery that Google had or if you uh, know somebody with extra invites, if you can buy one on eBay... Right, Sandin? Uh, they're like available. 30 bucks, yeah. You could... I don't know if that's worth it. Uh, you got yours from who? A friend. It's a secret, huh? <laughs> <laughs> All right, and if you get an invite, you can be testing this thing out right now. Sandin is, a number of other people are. I do not have an invite, but we've got four people together here now in one studio who've been messing around with Google Wave, and 
there's so much hype around it. We thought it was a perfect time to bring folks together who can maybe help us understand uh, what it is. Uh, so we're going to do a little bit of like a tech roundtable. And we're going to introduce you guys as we go. Uh, Sandin's here, of course. But let's just see where we stand. Let's go around. Yes or no? Google Wave is blowing my mind right now. Sandin? <laughs> Well, Google Wave is blowing, but uh, I wouldn't say it's my <laughs> mind, uh, but I've, I've only had it for a couple of days so far. Jeremy Pavlik, who's a system engineer and uh, has been our photographer on the show for a number of years. You've been using it, too. What do you think? Blowing your mind? Uh, it's got a lot of potential, I should say. Uh, I wasn't very excited about it at first, but then now I'm kind of fired up about it. It's actually kind of a cool tool. Okay, good. Stacia Marlett, who is – let me flip my page here and make sure I get it right. Uh, user experience designer, also here in the Twin Cities. And basically, I just know you from Twitter, so it's nice to – Meet you. Uh, it's a pleasure to meet face you to face, and we yeah. really were like, we need to have a woman because this oh, entire. Comp- I'm the token woman. <laughs> well, you're much more than the token woman. You're playing a very important role because this seemed like such a male-dominated thing. Like everybody we know who's yeah. uh, who's using it here in the office, I think, is yep. a guy, and we're like, there Weird. must be women who are using this. And uh, I know a lot of women who are using it for yourself, and maybe on behalf of women everywhere. Is it <laughs> Google? I can blow- speak them all. Yeah. Is it blowing your mind? Uh, blowing my mind in confusion, probably. Just uh, trying to figure it out is blowing my mind, I think. And uh, last, we have Than Tibbetts, whose poem about Max Bacchus you heard on one of our episodes recently. And he's uh, sitting in the studio, Minnesota Public Radio studio up in uh, Moorhead, online news producer for Minnesota Public Radio. And Than, Google Wave, what do you think? Uh, I feel like it's kind of like uh, the world's coolest theme park. And you get there and you're really excited, and then you find out that nobody's actually there so you can ride the ride uh, as much as you want but uh it just feels kind of empty you're right waiting now. for it to fill up yeah okay uh so let's do our best in like like 20 seconds because i think there's a huge chunk of america um so maybe the america that listens to our our podcast who don't know what google wave is and uh sum it up for me as best you can jeremy it's an amazing collaborative tool. It allows you to combine multiple people with documents, and it's it's kind of like email. It's kind of like Twitter. It's actually a very powerful tool, especially if people are all around the world or all around the country, for them to get together and be able to work on a single project. Stacia, what would you add to that? Yeah, I would say it's glorified IM email client in real time. Yeah. Then. Just another way for Google to suck your collective <laughs> mind energy into their giant servers. Okay, a little different take on it. Um, Sandin. Well, for me, it's it's just they seem to have, like, unintuitivized so much of it. I mean, they, like, it's got this weird way of navigating through your messages. You know, things don't necessarily come in order. People can be updating, like, in the middle of a text, in the bottom of the text, and you don't know where the new stuff is coming in. That alone just makes it super confusing to find out what the information exactly in the wave. I mean, imagine like, you okay, know, in the, way, get... in the way, in the wave, what is, what is this a is wave? This is one of the most What's confusing it? parts about it is that huh? there's these named like levels of it. So like, there's waves and there's blips and pings. And I, okay. And these are all names for what? So when you get a wave, like it's conversations. Yeah. It's yeah. basically the conversation. The whole frame of the conversation is called the wave. So you open that up. It's like an email or something. It starts off as one person saying something, and then you can add pings underneath their original ping and the sort of the wave is a collection of pings within the wave get it (laughs) no uh do i have to really use it to understand it that's that's the problem i think that the hype kind of outran the utility at least for the a lot of these early adopters and i i actually went back and watched their their announcement video and google kind of undersold it as a 
I think the quote was a personal communication and collaboration tool, which that makes sense. But then you throw it onto Twitter and kind of in the nerdosphere, and it you know turns into the second coming of of email and and chat rooms all mashed together. And it to me it, it it's leaning right now more on the chat room side of things, and it, and yeah. it kind of feels like a a shiny version of 1998. Well, they demoed it, uh, Jeremy as I recall from watching the video, it's kind of like a, a workplace collaboration tool. You're working on a project with your colleagues at work, and this is a way to sort of keep track of the conversation about that. Uh, and that sounds like you're really excited about it as a, as a prospect for that kind of context. Exactly. Can it go, can it go further? I mean, is, are we going to use this the way that we use Facebook, say, to just sort of manage our personal connections and, and exist online? See, I don't know if it's actually set up for that. I mean, it's, it's, it's biggest strength for me right now is, is the fact that it is a collaboration tool. So, I can start a wave and I can have five people in it. We can all be in this and we can be talking back and forth, collaborating on a single document or on a single anything. I mean, I got clients all over the world and it's really nice to be like, you know, start a wave and these are the things that, that you want, right? So here's some links to some documentation and, and here's this and, and that. And they can say, no, that's not exactly the way I want it. They can edit it. And I have this updated document right then and there. And then let's say I want to bring somebody else in. Well, normally, I'd have to forward them all the emails that were sent, and you've lost all these emails, you know, and, and Mary's got the newest document of this type, and mm-hmm. John has this newest one. Here, all they have to do is look at the wave. Everything is right there. So you have clients who got invites and who are testing it and using it right now. So you're right off the bat, like, functionally applying this thing in your connections. Yeah, and that's when I realized, oh, this is actually not a toy. This is actually a cool tool. It's not supposed to be Facebook or Twitter. Hmm. It's something brand new. You know, when I invited Stacia to come here to our station, I was able to, you know, ask if she was going to drive here by putting a little yes, no menu in there. And she clicked yes. And then I was able to pop in a map right there showing, you know, the directions to where she's going and, you know, how that to get to our station. map took forever to draw. Like, it was, I was like, is he actually doing anything or not? And then slowly the map showed up. And then slowly did, the little... Did that really revolutionize your, your conversation with her, Sandin? Well, it, it was Couldn't cool. you have just picked up the phone? <laughs> well, I could have picked up the phone, sure, but uh, you know, then I would clearly. Uh, not you wouldn't be have waiting. been preparing for this interview. Yeah, right? yeah, we needed um, to eat our own dog food here. Uh, <laughs> so, if you're waiting time. for somebody to email you a map, you can say, I don't know, go get a cup of coffee, right, or yeah, go back I, to your I other work. It to be a few minutes. In this yeah. case, you're kind of watching the yeah. screen, like, hey, we're we're talking. It's. I would assume that this and, stuff will be fine tuned. You know, it's yeah. still a private beta. It is really slow, and it has crashed Firefox a few times. And... You're always waiting for someone to reply because it's got that live type feature you can watch somebody typing as they're typing and you end up just kind of sitting there <laughs> you know, they spelled that wrong they're they're going back and editing a word and you end up watching a part of communication that that you don't need to to be a part of because you can see them actually typing letter by letter yes. letter by letter that's how it yeah. works it's oh, okay. unnerving yeah <laughs> <laughs> that would be kind of intimidating you become really conscious too, yeah. of your uh, of your typing skills stacia what's what is uh Maybe the the coolest application of it that you have seen or experienced well, I'm so excited far. to use it for I I do the KVSC trivia the 50 hour long trivia weekend in Saint, Saint Cloud yep yeah. and we've been looking for a good tool to use during the contest so like people remotely or or even in the same house like just mm. tossing up answers doing quick research I think it'd be really great at that so I'm convinced by Jeremy that this could be a really useful thing inside a company and for people working on projects I'm having a really hard time with the bigger the bigger picture, this notion, you know, when this when the demo video first circulated, you know, that this is going to kill Facebook. I think a lot of people believed they looked at that and they saw something that was going to sort of 
destroy the powers of social networking as we know them. I don't um, get that argument at all. Mm-hmm. I've never I, I know someone who thinks that and it's, it has nothing to do with Facebook. It has nothing to do with like your status or sharing. I mean, yeah, you're sharing links or you know stuff like that, but it's it's a conversation tool. It's not a social networking tool. And more than that, it's a it's a business tool. I yeah, think. yeah. I, I just installed really a, an extension on one of my waves that you can actually set up a good old fashioned phone conference. Sure enough, you enter your phone number and and click start the conference, and it'll, it'll dial your lineup. How about Twitter? Is this a Twitter killer? No, definitely no. not. It's not meant for that. I mean, Twitter, you've got people from you know all over the world that want to hear what you have to say in you know a couple hundred characters. Mm-hmm. This is more business-oriented. The one thing that I feel like might be the wild card here is that you know a lot like Twitter, Google Wave is really open. Like Jeremy said, there's a, a lot of room for people to plug and play with this and create their own sort of extensions and ways of using it. The truth is it's so open it could I mean it could turn into all sorts of weird things and uh you know so it's really they hard already to have the spam button plugged yeah. in already. I mean that's scary. Like they're expecting spam to happen, you know, very quickly mm-hmm. in wave. I mean why is that? It should be, you know, very private so far. But. Because they know that everybody's gonna be on it eventually. <laughs> and uh, so that will be a massive target. What will it be like when, when you're getting spam waves? Right, yeah. Waves of it's spam. Totally What's that going to be like? new device of spam. I mean, even worse than Twitter, I imagine. A spam tsunami. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, why would it be so much worse on wave? Well, because not only could they, you know, ask me to enlarge my member through text, <laughs> but they could include video and songs yes. reminding me about yes. it all at once. Yeah. But if you don't collaborate, if you don't respond, doesn't it just die, right? Well, it sits in your yeah. inbox, though. Than probably to the far end of the skeptic scale. Final as long, thoughts? As long as I don't start getting uh, crazy forwards from my kooky uncle, <laughs> I, I can get on board Google Wave. Sand and Jeremy, Station, Dan. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Jeff. So, Sand and we don't know yet uh, what our shows can be doing with Google Wave. And uh, from that conversation, I'm not entirely convinced of, of what that might be. But if people want to find you there, uh, they just, you know, look you up on the, the Google Wave-a-thon and uh, hook up, right? No. Well, not really. But if you want to be oh. uh, if you want to be my pal on Google Wave, just email in the loop at m, like Minnesota, mpr.org, and uh, we can be Wave Buddies. Whatever that means. And uh, I guess that's it for the show today. Um... Like I said at the top, if you are going to get a new membership uh, or uh, renew your membership with Minnesota Public Radio this go-around, you can go to our website and just uh, click our little button and we'll get some extra bonus love yeah. that will be a nice little statistic that um, will be the subject of some conversation between Santa and me and our <laughs> bosses and whatever else. And just, we're just It's an experiment to see whether people will attach their membership in that painless way to in the loop so who knows and uh Santa, since you're here i'll let you say farewell to everybody how do you say it in swedish hey do hey do hey do al group what ali hoop that means uh, everybody swedish lesson to uh, end things off i'm jeff orwich that's Sandin totten and we'll be back next week <laughs>